Luke chapter 15, verses 1 through 7. Luke chapter 15 is a kind of door into God's heart. It is one of those few portions of Scripture where the reader gets a clear illustration of just how far God is willing to go in order to get what he declares to be his. This trio of parables scribed by the physician Luke will show some of you a side of God's character that may be foreign or unknown to you. Others will come to Luke chapter 15 having forgotten this side of God because God has now become domesticated or reduced to some old folky tale in your life. Better yet, he has simply become another task for you to accomplish. Friends, there is something of God's character here on display that sets him apart from all the things vying for your loves, for your desires, for your worship even. So come with me through that door to see and hear something refreshing, something good and Something, dare I might say, beautiful. Hear these words from Luke chapter 15, verses 1 and 7. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. When he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Friends, I want to preach from the thought as simple as this. I'm glad he chased me down. I'm glad he chased me down. Let's pray. Our gracious Father in heaven, we thank you for your goodness and mercy towards us. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, and Lord, we thank you for your spirit. Fathers, with that spirit that I, I really do ask for grace in these moments. Lord, I, I really do need to be carried through these moments of preaching your word. Lord, I, I feel extra vulnerable and weak and I'm just asking for your help to to speak the truth and nothing but the truth. Amen. Luke chapter 15, verses 1 through 7 is tailored to teach you and I that God is unlike anything you've ever encountered or experienced. His character is totally opposite of your favorite politician or your favorite political pundit. 
He doesn't compare to the latest social media influence or your favorite pop star. No, God does something. No, he is something that no one or no thing can ever compare or even be. God is a rescuer. Yes, he is. And I can tell by that response that maybe I'm the only one here that needs some rescuing in their life. And and, and it's very obvious to me that we live in a time and place where everything you see and everything you hear teaches you that you're in control of your own destiny, of your own life. We live in such an environment that is allergic to the ideas of weakness and vulnerability and humility. But I think I could take it a step further. See, I think that our culture even teaches us to be allergic towards folk who look weak, who seem vulnerable. And instead of moving towards those who Rather, we move towards folks who are strong, who have social popularity and have social status, and they portray their lives as if everything is perfect. We follow the greatest rap star or country music star or your favorite YouTuber or vlogger, and we look at their lives and we think, that's what I want. That's the kind of life I want to live. And I know, I know, some of you, some of you all are saying in your head right now, oh, but pastor, that's, that's the way folks out there operate. We, we're Christians. We, we, we know better. We don't think those things. That's the way they do things out there. No, not in these walls. We're good Christian folk. You know, that may be true until you hear about someone's mishaps, until you come to find out about another person's past, and you just can't believe that they would ever do something like that, regardless of the way their life is since that moment that they've been walking faithfully with God. No, that doesn't matter. You see the person sitting in front of you or beside you or behind you, and you know a thing or two about their life, and you can't help but judge what they've been through and what they've done. You might even run into one of your Christian friends who was hanging out with some of your not-so-put-together people, and all you can do is shake your head. SMH. Because according to you, Christians don't do that. They don't hang out with those kinds of people. That's the setting. That's the backdrop of our text this morning. Jesus, being who he is, is sitting and eating with some folk who are considered to be society's worst, according to his religious elites of the day. Can you see Jesus? Can you see him, church? There at the neighborhood fish fry with his two-piece and fries, chatting it up with the locals. Who knows about what? The text doesn't tell us. 
But then shortly after, a group of tax collectors and sinners following the smells of fish grease and Lowry seasoning noticed Jesus up ahead. The closer they get, the more intrigued and curious they become. They, they all turn to each other and they begin whispering, is, is, is that him? Is that the man we've been hearing all these things about there, sitting and eating with, with those folks, those folks that are like us? Is that the man that we heard at the local bar downtown? Can you see them, church? This band of social pariahs inching closer and closer to Jesus' table. They hurry and grab their food and quickly catch a seat at his table. And the, and the text doesn't say what he's, he's talking about, but it had to be something good. Why else would folk who don't belong in Jesus' presence according to the world hurry and catch a seat next to him? This group of outcasts are, are curious, curious enough to listen to what he has to say. Then in verse 2, Luke introduces the religious elites, the, the Pharisees and the scribes. There they are a couple of tables down in the reserve section beside themselves at what they're witnessing. A Jewish man, a self-proclaimed king of the Jews, sitting with sinners? No. How could he? How dare he? It can't be, they say to themselves. Someone claiming to be one of us would never cross such a line. In other words, Jesus was doing the unthinkable, the impossible. Spiritually clean people don't sit with and don't eat with and don't talk with spiritually unclean people. You know, I... I I spent a lot of time sitting in verses 1 and 2 this past week. And, and just as I thought, just when I thought I had a handle on this text, the more pressing question began to leap off the pages, as it is for you, I'm sure. Who are you? Are you the Pharisee? Or are you the tax collector? Help me preach to your people, Lord. Are you the religious bystander? Or are you the sinner with ears to hear? See, religious folk tend to think that they know God better than everyone else. They sit on the sidelines or up there in the lofty towers, peering over and down on the rest of the folk, judging folk who don't walk like them and talk like them. They see faith as intellectual hoops to jump through and conquer. They see other Christians and say to themselves, he or she is doing all the wrong things. They're saying all the wrong things. They're with all the wrong people. The religious hang out in echo chambers. They enforce the cultural status quos. They compare notes on whose kids are behaving and whose kids need more Jesus in their life. The religious keep their distance from Jesus because they're afraid of 
what relinquishing control will actually do to them. But the sinner, oh, the sinner. See, he or she comes across Jesus and sees what could be. They, they get a glimpse of what ought to be. No, let me, let me try it better. They see Jesus and, and, and something inside them begins to, to move and shake. The hair on their skin begins to rise and this, this feeling that is, is so foreign but so familiar starts to communicate to them and says, from the deepest part of their soul, that's what I'm supposed to be. That is what I've been longing for. There he is. That, that hole inside of me is, that's, that's the answer. But unbeknownst to this group of sinners here eating with Jesus, see, see they thought that they came upon Jesus. Oh, but friends, this is beautiful. Don't miss it. It was Jesus who actually was looking for them. Oh, I'm trying not to get ahead of myself, but friends, when we come to learn about God, here is, here is what we see. That it doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter where your life has been. It doesn't matter what you've not done in life. It doesn't matter where you're going or where you're coming from. He knows you've messed up. Jesus knows you've been up to no good. He knows that you've been hiding, and he still comes after you. God will seek you out despite what your history says. Despite what you've done, God is a God that rescues those who needs saving. That's my argument. That's the idea behind Jesus receiving this group of sinners and tax collectors. See, Luke writes the verb receiving in the middle passive voice. No, oh, that may not mean a whole lot to you, but it means something to me. That is to say that Jesus was waiting on this crew to show up. Jesus picked this place on purpose. This wasn't by accident. He knew exactly where to eat and where to sit because he knew exactly who was going to show up. That's interesting. Luke is letting us in on how God deals with sinful people. He is saying that God is not surprised or overwhelmed with the mess that you have made in your life. In fact, he chooses to run toward it and not from it. But that's not all, no. God wants to be with you so bad that he will do it by any means necessary. You tell me who else can make that claim. Who else will run towards you in your worst and darkest hour and not away from you? Jesus, after hearing the commentary about his actions, looks over after finishing a piece of fish, licks his fingers, wipes his mouth, and he asks the, 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 them a question, the Pharisees and scribes, in the form of a story. And here's where we get the parable. Verse 4, what man of you, 
having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country. But go after the one that is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. It all began with a birthday. It was Saturday, June 23rd, 2018, and young Pirapat, they called him Knight in Thailand. He was turning 17. A milestone most young people around the world would want to celebrate in style. Pirapat and his 12 other Thai football teammates were out one night near the Tham Luang cave system in Thailand, and these young boys and their young coach there were no strangers to this cave on this particular night, so much so that they would even hike deep into the cave as a kind of rites of passage for new teammates, new team mem members, in order to get their name written on the cave walls. They would go as far as five miles into the deep and belly of this cave. But if you know a thing or two about Thailand in, in, in the summertime, it's heavy monsoon season. And unbeknownst to this group of wild boars, who was the mascot of their team, they didn't anticipate the kind of surprise, the kind of trouble headed their way. What was supposed to be a, a normal night of fun turned into a two-week rescue mission. The rains had become so dense and the team was so deep in the cave, they had no way of getting out. So they did the next best thing. They, they swam deeper into, into the cave until they could find dry land. For two weeks, two whole weeks, rescue teams attempted to, to pump water out of the cave until no avail, trapped hungry, lonely, scared, oxygen dropping by the day. These young boys and their coach were literally on death's doorstep. The rescue effort involved more than 10,000 people, more than 100 divers, scores of rescue workers, representatives from about 100 different governmental agencies. 900 police officers, 2,000 soldiers, 10 police helicopters, 7 ambulances, more than 700 diving uh, cylinders, and the pumping of more than a billion liters of water from the caves were required to rescue these boys. Friends, all I'm trying to say is, <laughs> if human beings can mount a rescue mission to this degree, then how much more will your Father in heaven move time and space and reach down and do whatever is necessary to reach his children and rescue you? Is there anyone here this morning that knows what I'm talking about? That knows a thing or two or a time or two where God out of nowhere plucked you up out of trouble? Set your feet on solid ground. He showed up in your life and did the unthinkable. You were down and out. 
And, and God gave you the grace to lift your head, to stand on your own two feet. Things were going one way. And then God showed up and things started going another. See, I know I'm standing on solid exegetical grounds. See, notice the circumstances this shepherd in in Jesus' story had to endure for him to find his lone lost sheep. He first has to go back into the open country. It, it, It really reads better as the wilderness in some translations. Then it says that the shepherd doesn't stop searching until he finds what he's looking for. Did I mention that his search was also during the night? Now, I don't know about you. I I, I rarely go into the woods at night. This is ancient Near, Near Eastern culture. Who knows what's out in the woods at night? The shepherd leaves his 99, goes by himself back into the wilderness at night, amidst all kinds of danger. See, in that time, shepherds would have been out all day with their sheep, and then by sundown, they would have taken count. Our shepherd here gets home and sees that one is missing and decides to go after it. Now, I don't know about you, but if I had 99 other sheep, little man would have been toast. He would have been somebody's meal for the night. And if our shepherd has 99 sheep in his day, then most likely bro could have just bought another sheep. He just could have got more. Church, aren't you glad God doesn't deal with us that way? Aren't you glad he doesn't deal with us the way we deal with each other? That he doesn't just throw people away after they've done something or said something we didn't like or didn't agree with. That he chases after you despite the reason that he's chasing you is because of you. The shepherd here is in this predicament because the sheep went out and got lost on its own. It was the sheep, it was the one who strayed away so much so that Luke writes lost. Here's the idea of the sheep being lost here in verse 4 and 5, that the sheep was literally headed towards destruction. Why do you think it's so often in the scriptures that we're compared to sheep? Because left up to ourselves, we are headed towards death. Apart from God, you're headed towards death. Strong words, I know. You know who else was headed towards death had it not been for the Lord? Me. You. That's right. We, we too are like sheep who stray away from our great shepherd. And I'm here this morning preaching to someone who needs to hear that God has been chasing you. He's been pursuing you. 
going after you and when you decide to let them take hold of you, it will be the best thing you've ever done in your life. You will be glad he chased you down. See, the story ends with Jesus saying that once the lost sheep was found, the shepherd lays him on his shoulders. He carries it home and, and rejoices. It doesn't get any better than this, friends. When, when God grabs hold of you, he, he picks you up. He puts you on his shoulders and he, and he says, I got you, little one. I got you. Just let me have you. You're all right. That's what those soldiers thought during the Battle of Dunkirk. See, the German aggression was barreling down French and British forces on that jury May 10th day in 1940. The Allied forces were stuck between a sea of water and German guns. No reinforcements on the way. The Allied forces were literally preparing for their deaths. Unbeknownst to most historians, Hitler had decided not to proceed. He, he just literally tells his army to stop. But then Winston Churchill had declared a day of prayer throughout Great Britain, and with no other options, Allied commanders ordered an evacuation by sea, assuming that maybe 40,000 of the soldiers would be rescued, maybe. But then the civilians, the British civilians began praying. And others began to give up their fish boats and houseboats. And they ventured across the English Channel to rescue close to 400,000 soldiers from death. I can't make this up. As the boats were going back and forth, the, the clouds began to roll in over the English Channel. They were a kind of blanket shielding the British forces being evacuated from the German air bombs. Friends, this is a lesser and lower picture of what God has endured to reach you. See, your situation is no match for him. Your circumstances don't scare him. He looks at you and says, no matter what. And when the job is done, he calls all of heaven's angels and rejoices because I have found my lost sheep. I have returned my kids and children home. Friends, God's joy is found when he finds you. When you think back to what Jesus has done for you, it ought to produce a kind of gratitude in your heart. Because you know what gratitude does over time? It produces praise. Now, now I'm having fun, and, and, and maybe I'm going to shout my own hands, and I'm going to clap my own hands, and I'm going to shout for my own voice, because I know where I was. I know where my life was headed before God found me. I was stuck in darkness. I was headed for destruction. And God did not give up on his son. And there is someone here this morning who needs to hear that God has not given up on you.
praise says to my circumstances, says to your circumstances that if God could have done it back then, that I know he can do it again in my life right now. Praise helps remind you that, you're, that what you're struggling with and dealing with in life doesn't have to be fought alone. It says that Jesus really does get down in the bottom with you. He really does get his hands and feet dirty for you. And praising God for what he has done in your life is the gap between what isn't and what will be. It moves you from despair to hope. No, you see, I, I know no one's listening to me because I thought at, at this point in my sermon, I would have had at least a couple amens, a couple claps, a couple shouts, maybe someone even standing on their feet and saying, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. I said, when life has you down, when, when things don't seem to be clear, when your anxiety and depression has you living in the bottom, the balm that gets you through is lifting up your hands, shouting his name, and holding on to all the ways he's been faithful towards you yesterday, and the day before, and the day before, and the day before. I'm done now. May the Lord bless you real good. But before I take my seat, just in case you didn't catch who Jesus was referring to in his parable, let me tell you who he was talking about this whole time. See, Jesus told us in, in John 10 that I am the good shepherd. That, that the one I was talking about was actually me this whole time. See, that it wasn't just the sheep that I carried on my shoulders, but I carried, I carried that old rugged cross too. See, this is, Justin, I wish you could just hit that piano one time as I take this home. And, and I didn't just carry it, but Jesus hung on it too. And when I hung on it, I took you with me. And when I bled and I died, I took you with me too. And see, the old folks back home would say, when he died, the earth would rock and quake like a drunken man. That, that Jesus died until death died. That he died until sin apologized. And early, early Sunday morning, he got up with all power in his hands. And I know, I know you're thinking, who, well, well, who else got up with him too? All you sheep. He's been carrying on his shoulders. Got up out the grave with him as well. May the Lord bless you real good. I'm done. <laughs>